0: Hey there, AR Nation. I've got a quick announcement I'd like to share with you. It's about an incredibly powerful, high-ticket marketing community that I'm a proud member of. It's called the Super Affiliate Accelerator. This program's absolutely for you if you want to be successful online. Whether you're a beginner looking to get started with an online business, and also if you already have an online business but struggling to reach your goals. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is run by three experienced and amazing coaches. Between three of them, they've sold millions of dollars in products and services online across all different industries. Why I find the Super Affiliate Accelerator so powerful is because of its unique all-in-one blend of a proven training program weekly coaching and mentoring from an amazing group of accomplished internet marketers and a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. For a limited time, the SAA coaches are offering a complimentary business strategy call. So whether you're a coach or consultant, if you provide professional services, or if you just want to start an online business but you're confused or overwhelmed with where or how to start, I invite you to check out this incredible program super affiliate accelerator and you can learn more today by visiting richardkisten.com forward slash s a a again that's richardkisten.com forward slash s a a now let's get to today's amazing episode hey there friends how's it going welcome back to another episode of the adulthood revisited podcast i'm your host richard kisten i'm so thankful so blessed and so grateful that you're here spending your time with me wherever you are in the world, whatever it is you may be doing. I genuinely appreciate it. If you haven't already done so, ask a quick favor of you. If you can just head to wherever you get your podcast, share, subscribe, rate, and or review the podcast, it'll do so much to help this podcast grow. Now, I'm super excited to introduce our guest on today's episode. He's not only one of my greatest friends, he's a brother to me. But in addition to that, I admire this man for his intellect. I admire this man for the kind of human being that he is. I'd love to introduce the world and the AR Nation to my friend, Gene Martinez. Gene, how are you? And welcome to the Adulthood Revisit podcast.
1: Hey, Richard. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on.
0: I'm super excited to have you on and explore your background and and what you do and sort of... The, the vision that you have to the work that you do but just to set the table you're a senior architect with Silverline here in the new york city area working on uh you know salesforce related products but let me do this instead of me screwing it up i'd rather yield the floor to you and if you can take a couple of minutes and share who you are a little about what you do and and your journey there
1: yeah absolutely um thanks for having me on so i'm a senior director uh the data technology and strategy uh, over at Serverline. So Serverline is a Salesforce implementation shop. Uh, So we help companies in the financial services space and in the healthcare space implement Salesforce. So for those who don't know what Salesforce is, it's a a cloud platform that helps uh, organizations uh, manage their relationships better. Um, It has different types of uh, solutions within it, uh, some to help sales teams, um, some to help collaborate, uh, the platform itself can be used across multiple industries. Uh, so the work that I do uh, for Silverline, uh, I, I pretty much help uh, projects go successful and companies launch Salesforce, and primarily focus on getting their back uh, companies' backend systems integrated with it within the platform.
0: If you don't mind, I I want to jump way back, back in the way the way back machine. And talk about your journey there. And for a couple of reasons, which I, I hopefully we'll, we'll get a chance to touch on as we go through our conversation. Um, some of it deals with who you are in in the tech space, right? There aren't that many, um, at least from the outside looking in, there aren't that many Latinos in the tech space. Um, so maybe we can touch on a little of that. But your story is actually a very cool story. So maybe share a little about like how you first Got into this into the tech world, and, and what drew you into your path to where you are today?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting story. Um, so, uh, I'm I was born in Dominican Republic, came to New York, uh, the Queens area when I was about four years old, and you know as I was going through junior high uh, and in high school, you know all my friends would go play baseball and play football. Uh, what I had to do was I had to go to my mom's office. So she, my mom owned a a tribal agency um, money transmitter uh, office uh, in the Queens area. And she would always want me to, you know, since I was 12, want me to go to the office uh, and help her out. So very early on, um, I got access to interacting with customers. Um, I had access, I had to speak English and Spanish and take care of customers as they walked in or with whatever needs they had um, in the uh, travel agency space or sending money. And, um, you know, one of the things that I'm grateful about that is one, it gave me the, you know, the experience of picking up the phone, answering the phone, being, being, you know, cordial um, as well as, you know, treating customers with respect and understanding that a business must maintain good relationships with their customers. But the funny thing about the, you know, my, my experience there is that my mom had access to computers. So in order to, to, you know, uh, to provide these services that she, that she was doing, she had access to two or three computers. Uh, in that time, uh, in the nineties computers, you know, they would be replaced every six months with new ones. So whoever were her partners or her vendors, they would provide new computers all the time. So I had access to them. And, the uh, you know, what I would do with them was break them. You know, I would log in, I would, um, you know, uh, delete files, I would, uh, you know, get really curious with the different programs that were in there. Um, but that got me exposed to a keyboard, it got me exposed to you know, a mouse, it got me exposed to you know, an interface. Um, so, you know, very early on I was really interested in just this new world of, uh, you know, the digital uh, landscape. Um, so that got me really interested and I think, I think that interest never went away.
0: If I can ask, I don't want to dive too far away from this, but this is a curiosity that I actually do have. And it's something that maybe first generation Americans or even people born out outside of the United States that come here have to deal with, which is similar to your situation, right? Having to spend, let's say, extracurricular time, or let me put it this way, the, the time that I was spending playing baseball or soccer, whatever it is, sports, you had to like spend your time with your mom are there any lessons or regrets or maybe things you want to share words that you would part with people in your shoes today, because it still exists and it's something that maybe people take for granted or they don't think of how far reaching that experience could be in either possibly holding someone back or thrusting them forward with that experience. But what thoughts do you have around having to spend your time, you know, helping your mom with her business at the time, um, in in relation to where you are now?
1: Yeah. Um I think, you know, the idea of getting uh you know a teenager involved with the real workforce is not something that's new, right? It's it's done in the form of internships. I know that, you know, my high school had uh had made older students um before they graduate do six months of an internship somewhere. Um I think that, you know, me getting involved from, you know, the late the you know uh, the last years of junior high and high school um got me exposed to kind of the real workforce um, you know earlier than everybody else. I think um my parting kind of advice would be uh that it's very important for you know you to expose what the real world looks like to to kids teenagers early on, but it's good to strike a balance um you know had i had I wished that i you know, was able to be a little bit more of a kid and play baseball or join a team and and build that, you know, relationships, personal relationships? Sure. Um, Could that have led to some me getting into trouble? Probably, right? So to some degree, you know, it is good that um, I was able to focus on some of the business aspects. I think think having a good balance makes sense. So that would be my advice.
0: All right. So you didn't start off as you know, senior director, senior architect where you are now. So maybe take us back to those, the beginning of your journey in this world, uh, in the CRM world or uh, in the tech space, how you got started and maybe, you know, whether it's comparison or contrasting what you, what you thought that early experience in the workforce was like.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. So, you know, if you kind of fast forward from, you know, helping my mother's business out, you know, high school, uh the 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 immediate time frame after that is very similar to everyone else's you know i just went to college um in college i was able to accelerate my studies i was able to do three semesters uh, essentially trimesters and i was able to load up on as many classes as possible i didn't have the experience of um you know uh living on campus um you know or going away i would drive into college campus and, and come back home every day um, and one of the things that I got exposed to there was um, not only just computer classes, but the the notion that I could graduate with my bachelor's degree really fast. Um, and I was incentivized to do that. Yeah, so you know my calculations when I started college was that I could graduate at twenty years old with a bachelor's degree, and I could immediately enter the work uh, workforce. um and i was I was motivated to do that, one because my mom's business at the moment, you know after after I was kind of finishing with college, wasn't doing too well. You know, the airline travel industry went very much online. So no one was going to travel agencies anymore. Insurance, um, uh, brokerages, that went online as well. Um, And then money uh, transfers, um, that stuff went online as well with a lot of apps. Uh, So, you know, I was incentivized to get a job right away and try to, you know, make money and, and bring some home and help our family situation out. So when I started working, I got a job as a developer. So you're right, Rich. I wasn't, you know, senior director. I wasn't a manager. Um, you know, I wasn't even really in front of customers. Um, I was given uh, a laptop. Um, I was uh, working for a company called Infinity Info Systems, which I stayed for ten years working there. And they're the ones that exposed me to what the world of CRM is, um, and it's very similar to what it looks like today. It's, you know, in terms of programs and software that helps customers, uh, helps companies uh, maintain relationship with their customers. But it was done in a very, you know, 2005 way. On-prem servers, nothing was cloud-based. The technology was, you know, uh, VBasic, uh, v- uh, VBScript v- and SQL. So and when I started to work there, I was doing a lot of just development, you know, a lot of developer. I was given tickets. I was you know, coding, bundling things. And I was going home and, you know, I was happy to, you know, to have a job.
0: I want to focus on maybe the, the, the early years of that, of that job, right? At Infinity as a developer, did they, let me take that back. Did you have any expectations of, of what that would be like, or may, did Did your experience there meet those expectations, exceed those expectations, or maybe looking back on it, what, what lessons did you take from, from working there? Not, not as, not necessarily like the the people or whatnot, but going from, again, you, your experience prior to that was limited to working at your mom's office and helping her with, with that essentially brick and mortar mom and pop type business. But then jumping into an endeavor where there's, you know, chain of command and, you know, reporting to, to people and, and expectations set from, you know, outside clients. on looking back on that experience, do you feel like you were prepared for that? You were ready for that? It took you by surprise. How, how was that experience for you, especially early on? Yeah, that's
1: interesting. I, I think um, I would say it was definitely different. Uh, joining that company, but I had the mindset of um, kind of a worker bee, right? I I wasn't really doing a lot of uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it knowledge or consultative work. I was doing a lot of just development. So you know, give me a give me a uh, a spec, a design spec, give me a, a page of that has the requirements, and I'll go build them out. I didn't necessarily go in thinking long term about our clients' uh, needs. I didn't. I was not in front of clients. I wasn't doing any type of, you know, sales activities or even on, on calls with them. So a lot of my um, approach, and I think a lot of uh, immigrants do have this approach when they enter, you know, uh, new spaces, is to, hey, I'm the, you know, I'm the, I'm here to do work. You know, give me work, right? They um, aren't comfortable uh, going into, you know, a space like that and and asking a lot of questions, right? And challenging uh, status quo. So for the first four, five or six years, I would say I was more, uh, you know, abiding by the rules and just doing what I was told. But I think that was good because I needed to learn a lot. I was never, you know, exposed to that type of environment, and I had some really good managers and really good mentors. And I think that um, it was it was at a point in my life where I needed to just absorb as much information as I can.
0: Moving now towards the end of your tenure there at Infinity. And, and you're maybe talk a little about your decision to move because it's probably at a, at a point where lots of people who want to listen to this podcast, lots of people in the same age group reach a point where they're wondering, like, is there a future here for me? Or is this what I want to be doing with my time? Can I, what else is out there? What was, when, when you decided to, to, you know, look for other opportunities and, and Silver Line came along if you think back, like what were some of the things that were going on through your head? What were some of the priorities that were shifting? If if you remember those.
1: Yeah, um, so I stayed there 10 years. I would say that um, at like year seven, year seven and a half or so, you started seeing um, a little bit of a pattern. Um, you know, a lot of the people that you respect that, that, um, that you work with, they started leaving. Uh, sometimes that creates opportunities for you. Um, you know, uh, other times it doesn't. Um, but you know, I was there and I, you know, I had never quit a job. I had never left. That was my first job. And I was there, you know, seven years at the time. So, you know, you trust a lot of the individuals that are there, a lot of the senior folks that you've worked with, um, for quite a while. And essentially, you know, I stuck around waiting and I would say that's probably, you know, the, the, the lesson that I'd like to pass on, you know, no one is going to do you any favors. No one's gonna put you in a position that you know you want to be in without you yourself kind of making making it known and making moves yourself. Yourself. Um, so I think for me, you know, a lot of my friends that I had, you know, made working there left. A lot of the people I respected left. So I looked at it as an opportunity to. Well, maybe I could, you know, run this company. Maybe I could be, you know, a C-level executive and help, you know, bring this company back to, you know, greatness. And I just wanted those things, but I never actually said them. I never, um, I never made it happen for myself. I kind of was just, I was going to show up one day, and they were going to say, "We're going to make you this," right? And, you know, very, you know, very quickly, I learned it's not the way the world works. Uh, so I would say, you know, don't hold back. Um, you know, for those that are, you know, if you kind of see signs of that you should move, you should go ahead and do it. Um, When I did leave, I would say that, um, you know, there was a lot of concern from, from the, from like my mom and, and those that have known me for a while. You know, she always looked at, that's your job. You know, you show up every day, you know, you do what you're told. You you should not leave. You should be loyal. Um, But in hindsight, when I look back, you know, one year after I had left, it was the best decision ever. You know, I've been able since then you know, learn so much more. Be exposed to so many more uh, intelligent folks. Uh, be exposed to so much more technology, and it really helped me take my career to you know new new heights. And I think everyone who's questioning, you know, whether or not they should leave or stick around, um, just always have that that type of approach and that attitude. Moves that you make, they're going to they're going to be for the best, you know. But it's up to you to make that happen. Um and if they're not for the best, leave that that new situation and go find something that is better. Um, don't wait for you know things to kind of happen to you.
0: Just curious. I mean, I'll, I appreciate you saying and sharing that the advice that you would have for someone in your shoes now, where you were then, is to make the move, make the demands of what you want. But in looking back, particularly that, maybe that that those last three years, do you think that, that that was a lesson that you needed to experience to now share that? Or is that something that you think that people in your position now don't really need to experience? Just like, go ahead and shoot for what you want.
1: Yeah, um, I, I don't think you need to experience that. I think that was uniquely for me. And that's what you know, the world had for me. Um, and it, it helped craft. You know motivations uh, with me and and how I approach you know my next gig. Um, I don't think everyone has to go down that same path. So, you know, if someone would have told me at that seven year mark, like, listen, you got to go, leave, um, and you know, it was someone that I trusted. Um, I would have I would have done that. Um, that doesn't mean that you know you shouldn't try to stick around and and uh, try to you know take advantage of some opportunities, but you have to make that happen. You're the one that has to you know, say, you know, I want this promotion or let me run this. Let me try this. Let me, let me try to, you know, we're, we're not doing well as a company. Let me, let me try to run, you know, these types of offerings for the next few years, you know, just sitting back and not doing anything. is not gonna, it's not gonna cut it.
0: Now, so let's now move to SL, right. You know what you find, the opportunities came around. What was, what was the experience like? Um, And the, Maybe not, I mean, if you want to talk about the work, maybe the kinds of work and, and maybe that how few, how that fueled the decision, but also the, the idea of, you know, go starting a new, in a new place. And I'll, cause I'll share this about myself. I remember there was, there was a point in my life where I said, I don't want to run a law office. It was actually when I came back from surgery and I said, you know, I just want to, for a, I just want to make a paycheck. I just want to go to work, clock in, do some work, clock out. And, and not deal with the responsibility of running my own practice, running, that, that fell by the wayside really quickly. In, in, a, in a matter of a month, I was done with it. Like for me, I realized that I will never be able to work for someone else again. In, in moving and starting at Silverline and, and what that opportunity brought with it, what, what was your new, I guess like, what were you expecting and what were you demanding not only of who you worked for and who you worked with, but of yourself?
1: Yeah, I was, um, to be honest, I was extremely scared. It was, you know, uh, I had come from having seniority at this, you know, at Infinity Info. I was there 10 years. I knew all the players. I knew the, you know, the owner um, to a place where it was doing, you know, that company Silverline was doing way better at Infinity. They had lots more projects, um, lots of people that I didn't know. Um, quickly, I learned there were so many smart people there, right? And I couldn't just show up and, you know, run the world, right? So I was very scared. Um, and the only thing that I can combat that fear is knowledge, right? So in addition to being scared, I just every day try to learn more, you know, try to go above and beyond and, and get certifications and learn more about the technology and be curious. But it's interesting, uh, you know, my experience there that first year, I think I didn't say much to anybody. I just did my work. Um and I wanted to kind of prove uh to to the the folks at Line that, you know, I, I I was the real deal and I mean business. I'm not here to play games, you know. I I had I was done playing games at, you know, at, at another at the previous company. So um, you know, it was so I was so quiet that one of the feed, you know, one piece of feedback that I got from my manager was like, "Why don't you just, you know, just loosen up? You know, speak up. You know, if you're 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 viewed as a leader here. You know, it's needed." And that really helped me to kind of let loose. So, you know, the the following years, year two, year three, I've been at Serverline sort of now six years. Um, it, it, you know, I really was able to kind of come to my own and and you know and and be able to lead teams and share my own ideas and and be very innovative, which is where when, when I feel the most comfortable.
0: If you can share a little bit about this may be like a brute generalization but the, the tech world and the players in tech aren't known as the most or having the most interpersonal skills can you share a little about maybe some of the lessons that you've learned again over infinity over at silverline in terms of managing well dealing with them dealing with coworkers dealing with management dealing with clients Like, what have you, in your, I guess now, 16 years in the tech world, what lessons have you learned about how to be and deal with people?
1: Uh, Yeah, Um, that is a reputation that developers get, right? Where we're not, uh, you know, we're not very personal. (laughs) Um, That is true. I, I, I think that, you know, there's tech folks, right? And then there's consultants. And i there are some people that can do both. Um, and there are some that are really good at at just the tech, and some that are great at you know co- consultative um, conversation and and that type of work. Um, I, I think for me, you know, when I started as a developer i I was not in front of clients. Um, what I did initially was I watched, I watched and I observed, and um, you know I learned from others, you know how did they approach presenting? you know, uh, this project to a prospect, to a customer. How do they approach when we went over budget and, or someone, you know, messed something up? Um, so you, you watch and you pick up, uh, you know, the best of breed, uh, type of, you know, tactics and and different types of skills from, from others that you, you know, you look up to. Um, for me, you know, I, at infinity, I was able to go from a developer to, an architect and be in front of clients and at server i'm in front of clients often um, and i think what's important is to try to put yourself in the position of who you're speaking to who you're speaking with right they don't understand or care to understand and you only have 30 minutes of their time um, most of the time so if you're talking to someone in it you know make it technical if you're talking to someone in the business uh, you really should not you know show them any code you know you shouldn't show them any spreadsheets you know, you should not um, try to get very technical and try to, you know, take it up to a level um, that they would understand. I oftentimes think, um, or you know, I sometimes use the, the tactic of if you were in that position and you had a consultant come in, what do you want to hear, right? Um, what numbers do you want to see? Maybe it's just three numbers, not 75 lines of code. So I try to always keep that into perspective and I don't always get it right. Um, sometimes you have to adjust. Sometimes you don't know who you're meeting with and what their background is. So you have to be really nimble and pick up on some cues and try to take the conversation to, you know, a, a good place where you guys can all agree.
0: I mean, that's a pretty profound message. It probably, it cuts across all industries, right? Like speak the language of your audience. If it's dating, speak the language with the person you're on a date with. If it's in sports, speak to the language of your teammates. If it's in business and if you've got a client, speak the language of your client. So I think that resonates not just in the tech world, but across probably across industries. I want to ask you now, maybe specifically about, about the tech world, Um, talking a little about like what you see as the future, because Salesforce is actually probably a premier product at the forefront of where tech is heading and kind of a lodestar as to what we as consumers can expect in, in the near future. So where do you see in the realm, part maybe specifically, if you want to cabinet into that, to like the cloud usage or, or like use cases of technology for businesses. But where do you see, whether generally or specifically, the tech world heading in the next in the immediate future, the next five years? Yeah,
1: um, definitely a topic of some passion of mine. Um, I think the the clear uh, the clear direction is going to be. Uh, more mobile-enabled applications and experiences, Uh, you know, hands down, that's, uh, you know, there's a generation right now that is, uh, especially in today's world with with COVID, that's being taught and receiving education right now using mobile devices. Um, I think we all know, we probably all know some sort of, like, baby who you give him an iPad, him or her an iPad, and they can, you know, uh, you know, they can work it. So. This is a, you know, this is very interesting. I think businesses need to wake up and understand that this, the, those folks, the, these children, these kids and teenagers, they are um, your future customers. They are your future, you know, uh, folks that are going into your banks that are, you know, receiving healthcare. So I think um, we're going to see more and more um, mobile experiences uh, and very innovative ways to, um, do type the, the typical types of commerce and business. I think we're seeing that with healthcare now with um, digital front door. A lot of people are receiving, they're seeing their doctors um, just, you know, through applications on their phone or, you know, receiving some sort of therapy. Um, we all know about mobile banking, um, you know, and you can scan checks. Um, and I, I think if you were to think about, you know, all the different services that you use, um, a lot of them are going to move towards mobile. Um, so that's one thing I think you know like two things i want to i want to add to that so the other one would be data i think that the amount of data that we um all are um receiving and and working with today is going to continue to expand um you know i wear this Fitbit um and you know every time i move my hand up and down left right it's logging um you know all sorts of data uh it's not just my steps um in addition to my heart rate you know and and uh, you know various other uh, metrics like sleep um, hours and whatnot, um, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And companies need to you know be smart about how they process all that data and how quickly they process that data and where they do it, where they store it. Um, so we're going to see you know somewhat of a, an explosion as it relates to that. Um, that's going to that's why I think we have five G coming up, um, you know, in the near future. Uh, a car, you know, cars are going to be driving themselves. How do you think they're going to do that? It's by receiving as much data as they can every second. Um, and then I think there's uh, there's something going on now about just you know the trust of data and the trust of organizations. Um, you know, I think a lot of organizations are centralized today, um, and you are submitting your data to Instagram and Facebook, and those are free uh, for you to use. But technically, you know, they're really just using your data. So I think there, you know, we're we're coming into a situation where there will be uh, something that's going to help, um, you know, the, the user base. I don't know if it's legislation or just, you know, some new innovation. Um, I, you know, I've been tracking a lot of the decentralized space and being able to, you to be able to move around and browse the internet with, you know, an identity that um, isn't centralized. Right, you carry it with yourself um, at all times. And you could, you know, delete it from systems. So I would, I would look into that. And that's, you know, I think there's a lot of applications like that that use blockchain. Um, so those are the three things that I think tech is going. Uh, you know, as it relates to CRM and Salesforce, and uh, you know, you said it, you know, perfectly. Um, those are, you know, pretty much commoditized. You know, at this point, they're going to continue to, to, to you know, to to get easier for companies to implement. And you know, the developer that was needed to implement those, um, you know, those systems aren't going to be needed as much because those systems now automate everything. You know, there's going to be, um, you know, things are going to be done declaratively. Things are going to be done using configuration. So really, you know, the the tech and the IT and the developer needs to start to work on those three things. Mobile, you know, data and decentralization.
0: If I can maybe segue a little bit, and this this question is actually going to, well, maybe take you by surprise but it's, it's asking about a, a large listenership of the adulthood revisit podcast ends up being small business owners, whether it's brick and mortar and or in the online space. Um, so in just in, in terms of using CRM and your experiences in again, FinTech, healthcare, um, finance and financial institutions, what, in, in terms of like, how do you have any idea or any suggestions for how, smaller businesses should look at the data that they receive and how they should organize that data. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be strictly or, or tied to Salesforce, but like when you deal with a client, right. In the large scale enterprise grade, like there's, I I would assume, and I could be wrong, that there's a way that they're, they want to use their data. Does any of that translate? Do you think to small, smaller businesses?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, So let's say that, you know, even for your business, uh, Richard, you know, as you know, you do bankruptcies, right? So all of your customers should be in some, uh, you know, private database, right, that you keep, you know, for your business. And you're going to log, you know, who you worked with, um, whether they were difficult or not, right, whether they paid or not, um, how long the process took. and you know, that information can help you potentially, uh, you know, email these people, you know, uh, uh, you know, a week later or a year later, how are things going? Hey, by the way, um, you were a great customer uh, to me. I just want to let you know I'm opening up this part of, you know, my law practice, right? So it's, it's a connection that, you know, these systems help you maintain. And sure enough, you know, if you do that and you continue to build uh, a pretty good brand with your customers, what what uh, what research has shown is that they, they'll be loyal to that, right? So they'll then maybe recommend it to their friends, right? Maybe they'll use you for another, you know, they buy a house and they need, you know, someone to help them with their closing. So not having these systems centralized and not having these types of um, data and insights available to you very, very easily um, is a nightmare, right? You're going to have to be Storing things in a spreadsheet, maybe some things in some sort of notes app on your phone. Maybe your customers are just in your email inbox. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a great way to keep track of that. I mean, that's just one use case. Um, there are, you know, for other types of businesses, um, other scenarios where, you know, maintaining this data is super important. My wife's a teacher and, you know, uh, on the education space, I feel like, you know, having a centralized system, like a CRM system for students, and parents um, is extremely helpful, you know, being able to see, you know, at at a moment's glance, you know, which students um, aren't handing in their homework and what's the common thread, um, you know, for why that's happening. It may be just a bad teacher, right? Or it could be um, that something happened in that neighborhood and, you know, there's no internet for that one week. Like there are are, um, insights and, you know, really good nuggets of information that's hidden within the data. And not having a good system in place um, won't let you unlock that.
0: Something else that we touched on a little bit, but if, if you want to spend a couple of moments talking about it and maybe reflecting on it a bit more is the, maybe the inclusion diversity in the tech space, right? It's, it's garnered a lot of attention this year, last couple of years, actually diversity in the workplace. Um, but particularly if it may, if you want to hone it in to Latinos, Latinas, Latina X in in the tech space, uh, what do you have any thoughts or feelings or, around that? And maybe if you think that there's a shortage or there's not enough interest in the you know the tech world, the development world amongst Latinos, what can ch- what can stakeholders do or change? How can the behavior change to encourage? you know, the, the newer generation of Latinos to, you know, have more interest in tech?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's a, it's an excellent question. I think there's there's a couple of things to talk about. I think there's the, you know, how do we get our communities of color to be interested in in these roles, to be interested in, you know, different types of careers? Um, I think that that's, that's something that has to be done from an outreach perspective from from those that are in those careers. Uh, so, uh, individuals like me, um, individuals like, you know, other, other folks that, um, you could say have have 15 years, 10 years of experience, they need to have some sort of outreach and let others know that, um, that this is possible, you know, that this is even out there. It's not even that I think people, Darno, they don't, they don't think that this is impossible. They just don't even know this exists, that they could be a, you know, a consultant at a, you know, CRM firm. So I think creating that exposure is is huge. Um, one of the things I do is I I every year I try to volunteer uh, with my wife's school and I uh, try to invite you know the the her third graders and talk to them about what I do, where I do it, where I'm from, so they can see you know the, her her students are primarily uh, predominantly a lot uh, Hispanics and Latinos. They want you know I, I think it's important for them to see. You know, a face just like theirs, you know, someone that starts off the combo and speaking in Spanish and then switches to English. I think that's really important. And maybe they'll remember that, you know, as they as they move on um, in their lives. So I think that's what one thing that we need to, you know, be doing. Um, in terms of, you know, companies, I feel like they just need to do it. You know, <laughs> I know it's simple. Um, and I, I've heard a lot of excuses, uh, things like, well, you know, we're going to hire the best person for the job. I don't think that is, um, I don't think that that's, uh, fair and that's not solving, you know, the, the inequity that currently exists. You got to get past that. You have to get past that. Um, you know, another, another thing that I hear often is, you know, we have a very, you know, diverse, uh, type of workforce. You know, we are, um, you know, we have, we, you know, we are, we have a good male to female ratio. And then when you look at it, it's like, female, 90% male. Like, no, that is not diverse. That is not equally diverse. That is not equity, you know, in terms of, you know, your workforce. Um, You know, I think that's really important right now. Uh, I've seen a lot of articles followed a lot of companies who have had a lot of employees exit, a lot of employees leave just based on some of these policies. Um, And all we're asking is for them to try, just try. You don't have to fix, you know, the world's problems, but show me two initiatives a year and the results of those initiatives and i'll leave you alone you know and and show me how i can help
0: that's pretty powerful i mean I, th- there's one I, I i don't know this to be true only because like again i run my own business and i'm i'm a solo in in the truest sense but like i i in scrolling through my news feed instagram feed facebook wall whatever it is and stories with just that it's like show me it's not about a, a, like a num no one's trying to hit a number and you're not gonna solve the world's problems in a day but show me and and like especially give because like you said the inequities of the past still influence where we are today and so if you if your metric is still we're hiring the best person from the job well are they the best person from the job because they've had all the opportunities in the world whereas someone like you who've had to you had to like wherever your high school was in the inner city in, you know, New York city public high school. Plus then you had to spend your time instead of like doing extracurricular activities, helping your mom with her business. And then, you know, whatever co- like college opportunities and whatnot. So is best strictly be on the traditional sense or, 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 you know, the opportunity to go to someone who's like done, done as much as they can with what they have. Right. Um, so it's a, it's a very curious yeah. thing. I, I want have- to talk to,
1: yeah, sorry. Yeah, uh, you I know, I just wanted to add. I think you know, uh, executive boards and uh, investors really need to, they really need to demand this. Um, if I was if I was um, you know a, a a firm that owned many companies, I would have my uh, leadership of you know those companies really take this seriously because there's, I I believe there's a perspective that you know having diversity uh, brings to the table. You know, I think you know a good example would be with me, right? You know me being Hispanic, being Latino, I am a passionate person. you know, I will speak my mind and sometimes that's helpful, right? Sometimes that costs uh, us to make more money as an organization or save money due to some losses because I because I'm because I follow up on things. I'm also a very hard worker because that's what my mom uh, you know made sure that I that you know that 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 I had in me. So there are there are experiences and perspectives that organizations are not tapping into um that I think is is you know could be viewed as you know detrimental to an organization. And
0: detrimental to organization means detrimental to even bottom line, right? So it's bottom point, line, yeah. Yeah. Detrimental to like, not
1: having it, right? The yeah that, that that type of diversity.
0: Now I I know you to be very diverse in in the stuff you have your hands in so if you want to take a few moments and share maybe some of the the other projects that you have going on uh some of the stuff i would like to introduce to the podcast maybe in another episode but maybe share a little about the roadmap about g of what Gene martinez has going on in his life
1: uh, yeah absolutely so you know my uh in my day-to-day you know full-time i work at serverline and you know i dedicate um you know my my full days work towards that. Um, you know, really happy with the work I'm doing there, Um, but I am a developer at heart, so, you know, uh, evenings and weekends and, you know, whenever I get an extra hour uh, or during lunch, I need to be coding or, you know, launching something, and it's something that I've done for many, many years. I know um, I've helped you with some of your websites, Rich, in the past. Um, You know, I think uh, one of the things I'm really into, um, as you said, I got my hands on everything, is the blockchain space and, you know, the the cryptocurrency in the Bitcoin world, that's definitely something that um, I want to come back and talk um, just about, uh, about that, about Bitcoin, about getting uh, more and more of uh, the community, the AR Nation community, the people of community of color um, exposed to uh, an asset that is, uh, in my opinion, you know, better than the U.S. dollar and better than gold. And you know, I'm gonna. I want to. Hopefully, you invite me. I want to come prepared for that and and share that knowledge. Um, But one of my projects as of late um, has been the NYC COVID rate project. So um, you know, a lot of my ideas come from a need. Um, And as you know, with COVID and with Cuomo and De Blasio, um, them doing competing press conferences and tweeting and going crazy with. This information, that information, and then you have, you know, folks at the White House. We won't even get in, uh, into that. Um, one of the things that was really, really clear um, is that, you know, if the rate of uh, the infection on a seven-day average goes past a certain point, certain things would happen in the city. Um, I know that, you know, from, from my wife, who's a teacher, uh, the department, public school teacher, the, the Department of Education. Um, would shut down all schools, all public schools, if it goes over three percent. Um, but how do they know uh, what what that rate is? Right? Um, it's actually out there. Right? It's you have to go and go to the city's website. So if anyone is familiar with you know these government websites, they're a mess. You know you have to click on 25 links. Um, eventually you find it, and it's not the format that you want. It doesn't have the dates that you want. And I thought that it would be it would be really really great if I just gave them one page. Here it is. Here's one page. Here's the latest information on what you know the the New York City COVID rate is, specifically for New York City, right? Not New York State, and, and um, what the seven day average is. Uh, so very quickly, I built a, a React app. Um, it's uh, hosted on Heroku, um, and you know it uh, queries a database that I update. Uh, based on what the city releases. But you know, the end result is you have teachers or any New Yorker really, you want to know what the rate is, you open up the the page, the web app, and it's there. You don't have to click on anything. You don't have to, you know, hit search. And I've been adding more and more features. Um, It is mobile friendly. Uh, I've added, you know, a number of cases, uh, as well as hospitalizations. and I actually, you know, I, I, it's open source, right? So this this site is not something that's private um, that I'm keeping, you know, to myself. If other developers um, in other cities want to build something similar, I have a link on that site to the code, and they can, you know, check out, you know, how often I commit code there. Um, they can, you know, they can clone it and then, you know, make it work for their city.
0: That's that's super important, and I appreciate you sharing that because right now we're we're in the midst of maybe New York City reintroducing some some shutdown measures. Uh, just curious, and this is actually a great segue. If someone someone listening to podcasts wants to reach out to you, connect with you, and maybe also download or check out the the web app that you created concerning COVID here in the city, uh, how can people connect with you? Yeah,
1: so um, on that site. Uh, nyccovidrate.com. Uh, there is there's an email and a Twitter link there. You can reach out to me there. You could also, um, I don't know if you do show notes, we could include some, some info on the show notes, but uh, for those that are just listening, uh, probably Twitter is the best way to reach out. So uh, my, my handle is Gino, G-I-N-O underscore Martino. Not my first name, not my last name, but um, kind of a a good nickname that was given to me years ago by some good friends.
0: Very cool. So definitely link that up in the show notes. So Gene, I really appreciate you taking the time, energy, sharing your thoughts about like, you know, your journey to where you are. Again, I really appreciate you not just as a friend, but as a human being. Uh, You're, you're just an incredible, like a warm presence, intellectual, sharp. Uh, You light, you light rooms when you walk into them. So I want to thank you for coming onto the AR podcast.
1: Oh, it's very nice of you, Richard. You have to buy me a beer next time.
0: <laughs> Let me ask you this: if if I can if I can yield the floor floor to you as we close out, uh, do you have any parting words for our listeners?
1: Um. Yeah. Let's see if I could wrap kind of all the topics that we touch into. Um, we got into. I, I'd say you know pursue your dreams. Um, plan uh, accordingly, but trust your gut. Um. And, you know, look out for, for, for the signs, you know, um, if you need to make a move or if you don't. Um, know that every move is a great move, you know, if you ap- approach it that way. Uh, be mindful of technology. Be mindful of data and, you know, and, you know and, and, and various services where you are the product. Just be mindful of them. Um, and, uh, you know, be safe. Wear a mask and follow the uh, daily rate, uh, nyccovidrate.com gotta throw in a plug in there
0: we'll, we'll do definitely link that up again gene martinez senior director and architect over at Silverline uh, here in new york city working in the crm space again i appreciate your time appreciate you coming on to the AR podcast and with that AR nation until next time take care be well bye for now hey there ar nation before we go i wanted to remind you of the super affiliate accelerator Whether you're looking to get started with an online business or if you're struggling to see the traction you've been hoping for in your current online business, the Super Affiliate Accelerator can help you see the success that you want in your business and in your life. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is an all-in-one, high-ticket marketing community where you'll get access to proven training, weekly coaching and mentoring from seasoned and accomplished marketers who've sold millions of dollars in products and services online as well as access to a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. Right now, the SAA coaches are offering a free complimentary business strategy call. So if you're ready to build a strong and profitable online business and brand, take advantage of the complimentary business strategy call today and learn more about the Super Affiliate Accelerator by visiting Richardkiston.com forward slash SAA.